Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Today we're continuing on our series um, called Sense and Calling. Um, and as I was preparing the sermon series and kind of putting the notes together, for me, my heart truly was, um, I definitely want to be able to share direction like where are we going as a church, um, but more so having the inward calling of what is God speaking to us? Um, what, what are we sensing from God today? What is he calling us into in this new season? Or, or maybe it's just been a long season and he's just calling us to be faithful and obedient, which is even harder. Um, and my, my goal and hope is for this is because it's easy in a church environment to be like, God, what are you saying to me through this person speaking on the microphone up here? But the reality is the God that is speaking to me is also the same God that can speak to us um, wherever we are. It's the same spirit, the same Lord. And so my hope is that it's not the words that I say up here that leave an impression, but the Holy Spirit leaving an imprint and an impression in your hearts and in your your lives. Um, And so as we're kind of journeying through this together, um, just asking the Lord, can we just lean in? Can we just press in and just listen to your voice and what you're saying for us today? And no matter where we are, um, as Dave shared, on our spiritual journey, um, whether it's a season of curiosity, a season of lament, a season of anger and fist shaking at God, or a season of just peace and joy, um, whatever season we're in right now, I hope that God is speaking to us, um, whether in his loud voice or his peaceful, quiet whisper. And so with that, let me just um, pray for us before we get into the word. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much um, for this gathering this Sunday. We thank you for um, this house to be able to meet in, to be able to worship together. We thank you for the the families and the children that are learning about your great love um, at the same time. Um, And so, so Lord, I just pray that you may really just um, leave an imprint in our hearts through your spirit. May your voice be clear and distinct. May we be able to discern your voice through all the clutter and all the noise um, and being able to hone in to your heart and to your grace. So we thank you for this time, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, um, I, I kind of want to get into the distinctives and the character of Hope Brooklyn. Um, what makes us unique? Um, what, what are some of the things that God has really imprinted over the years for us being a church? And it's unique because when, we, when Hope Brooklyn first started, and I wasn't around for, the, for year one, um, I joined in a little bit later on, um, but it was very clear the values and the distinctives of who Hope Brooklyn was and what God was doing in this church. But I always believe that God is refining and moving us towards a season of um, just being able to grow and mature in faith and love and that he kind of refines the things that, ha- that was very raw in the beginning. That was just very um, just open, and I think God, what he's doing is fine-tuning the pieces and really carving out the character of who we are as a church. And so before I get into the character of who we are as Hope Brooklyn, um, I'm more, most importantly, I'm concerned, not concerned, but I, I'm more interested in the identity that God is placing in our individual lives. Who are we? <laughs> um, and when we talk about purpose and calling, um, Pete Scazzaro, he was a pastor in the city. He is a pastor in the city. Um, he formerly pastored New Life, and he, he, there's this quote that um, I kind of always ponder about. It says, "The vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life, or at least someone else's expectations for us. 
This does violence to ourselves, our relationship with God, and ultimately to others. We unconsciously live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectations. And how many of us are entering into this place with those expectations, right? Whether it's from our parents, our in-laws, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, what are some of the impressions that we've kind of, the narratives that we've shaped and that we kind of imposed on ourselves? Um, and the unique thing is that when, we, when we're pursuing purpose and calling, um, I, it feels like the New Yorker personality is like we're just, we're just all in, right? When we, have a, when we have a sense of direction, we, ju we just commit to it. Uh, we just dive in, whether it's a career path, uh, whether it's a relationship, we kind of just put ourselves fully into it. And the best way I can kind of explain this is, um, I think every New Yorker will be too embarrassed to admit it, but have you ever gone out of a subway and you just started walking the wrong direction? Okay, you committed that this is the right way, all right? And you're too, pro you're too proud to turn around, right? Because that's, that's, that's the most embarrassing thing, right? You're just, you're just strolling, you're committed, and you're like, wait. I'm going east, I need to go west, right? And that turnaround, right, it's kind of like the walk of shame coming back down the subway, all right? And so you just committed, you're going to walk the entire block and you're going to walk around the other end, right? Or you're going to walk across the street, kind of look at your phone, be like, oh, all right, I'm going back. And in the same way, we kind of have this sense and calling, like we have this direction and we feel like this is my purpose, this is my life, and we commit to it. We go all in. Our careers, our, our finances, we've moved to the city and we're, we're in. <laughs> okay, we're here and we're in the thick of it. And then we feel like, wait, maybe this isn't it. And for us, we, maybe we, we've invested too much to take, take back what, we're gonna, what we've done or what we told others that what we will do. But we've committed too far into it. And you're like, I'm just gonna let this ride out and see what happens. And we kind of just go on this, this, this wave, this continual wave of just going through the motions. And it's interesting uh, around me, um, for some reason, I'm having a lot of conversations with people either being laid off or switching careers. And I'm always thinking like, oh, you're just probably gonna just adjust your, you know, your job, right? Or what kind of job you're looking for. And like, no, I wanna do something completely new. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> I'm like, I wanna venture something I've never done before. I was like, that is very bold of you, okay? Um, I don't know if I can do that. Um, and so it, it's, it's interesting how like, when we put ourselves fully into something, whether it's a narrative that has shaped our life since we were kids, whether it's a decision we made um, in, in, our, in our late 20s, in our early 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, like maybe we made this decision and we're kind of just going along with it. We've committed to the story, we've committed to the narrative. Maybe the story has been not just choices, but our personality. You know, the, I know Enneagrams have been a great thing. Um, if you don't know, know about it, you could look it up, but Enneagrams, like, what's your personality type? It's interesting because we want to know why we do the things that we do. We want to kind of know the thought process behind the decisions we make. But so often when we do these personality tests and these personality you know, assessments, we just, that's, that's, our, that's our label, that's it. We cannot stray from this. <laughs> we cannot, we cannot, we have to commit to this path of saying that I'm, I'm, I'm aggressive, <laughs> okay, or I'm a champion, right, or I'm passive aggressive. Okay, and it's, it's interesting how we let these narratives shape and dictate our decisions. Maybe from a kid, as a kid, pa our parents told us one narrative. Maybe there's, there's been a, a series of failures and we look back at that trail and we go, well, that's who I am. 
I can't dig myself out of this. Maybe we look at our generation of family and we see just brokenness, abuse, addictions, and we just, just inherit that narrative as this is, I can't, I can't shake it. It's been destined for me. And like the quote says, we, we, begin, we go to our grave unconsciously living somebody else's expectations or living somebody else's life. And when we look at social media and the public and all the people around us and we see success and achievements and accolades, we always go, I want to live that life. I want to live in that comfort. I want to be that bold. I want to be that outspoken. I want to be that wise. And we just create a list of, and we create this ideal picture of who we want to live as. And the result is this does violence to ourselves because it's unrealistic, our relationship with God, because we forget who God tells us who we are, and ultimately to others. And today, as we talk about identity, who better than talk about Jesus? And in Matthew 3, 13 to 17, this is the story of Jesus' baptism. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. See, this is, this is the mark of God the Father affirming Jesus in his identity. He says, you are my son. And it's interesting, this dialogue that John um, has with Jesus, right? Because John is like, well, wait, who, who am I to baptize you? Right? John knew his role. John the Baptist knew his role. It was prepare the way of the Lord. He was John, the, you know, he baptized many others, but it's weird to baptize Jesus, okay? And he's like, no, no, no you should be baptizing me. Because also John has encountered Pharisees and Sadducees that says, who are you to baptize? You can't baptize. What authority do you have to baptize? And so here John is confronted with Jesus, but Jesus in his, also in the act of humility says, no, you, you need to baptize me for it needs to be fulfilled. And as John baptizes Jesus, the heavens open up and the voice of the Father comes and speaks to Jesus to affirm him with his identity. You are my son the Son of God. And, you know, we always look at the title like, oh, yeah, that's his father. He's his son. But the Son of God has just so, that title alone has so many theological implications. It has so much authority. It has, there's so much depth to that title, Son of God. Because that is what confused the world. And that's what brought him to the cross. Him carrying and wearing that title, Son of God. And here, Jesus is embracing his identity. He understands that as the Son of God, his prophecy, his destiny is to be the suffering servant that was explained in Isaiah 58. He is the suffering servant. That's why as Jesus is affirmed in his identity, he is not shaken by the opinions of others. He's not shaken by the crowds that are trying to kill him or deter him or to slander him. Jesus is not deterred by the temptation of the devil and that which immediately follows this before his ministry begins. He's being tempted by the devil, and he's like, no, I know who I am. I know my identity. And the funny thing is the devil even tries to play into his identity. It's like, if you truly are the son of, man, of God, right, 
there's no way he's going to let your feet touch that ground if you jump. Jesus was affirmed in his identity. He knew his distinct value and character. It was unshaken. He knew his, he was destined to the cross. He knew that every stone that was thrown at him, every whip that he took, every slander, every tur turn of the corner where we saw the crowd of Pharisees questioning him, interrogating him, he knew who he was confidently, and he lived into that identity. He was not shaken by it. Jesus' baptism instilled, him, instilled a value and identity. And for us, so often, we pursue our value and our character and our identity, and it's shaped through the, the, the surrounding environments for us, you know, the whole nature versus nurture thing. But for us, we, we kind of have this badge of honor on certain things as New Yorkers, right? That we're, we, we can persevere, that we have grit, that we have the hustle, like all these things. And we allow our social construct to really tell us who we are and our value. But the reality is, who, who are we when we're just quietly in our rooms, when there's no outside voice, when there's no music, when there's no conversation happening with anybody else, and we're just by ourselves? And when's the last time we allowed ourselves to be in silence? And maybe that silence is a scary thing because we know the voices and the narratives that are gonna start flooding our minds and our souls. We start, our minds begin to stray into di these different stories and dialogues and conversations. But it's in those moments that we need to carefully listen to the voice of God because he is the one who reminds us who we are. He is the one that speaks out to us and maybe not in this dramatic, booming voice of the heavens opening up and the light coming down. But as we spend time reading the word, we get to see our identity. We get to discover why we were created, how we were created. And that way, when we pursue calling and purpose, we know how to do it. See, it's always baffling to me when, you know, people approach me and go, I'm a servant of God. I'm like, awesome, me too. But... It's ironic that so many times the servants of God love being served by others. It's so, it's so ironic how sometimes the servants of God always like having that high seat at the table. And that's why Jesus continually speaks and shares and teaches disciples and rebukes the Pharisees. But our identity gets twisted. It gets blended. And here's the unfortunate truth and the, and the frightening thing. A lot of times our faith gets blended with the things that are not pertaining to God or not related to God. It becomes our, our preferences that get blended in with faith. I like this piece of scripture, but I, I don't like what they have to say about this over here. God is either true or he's not. The word is truth or it's not. And it, it's, it's tough when we begin to pick and choose what is relevant to us and what's not. You know, we look at the Bible and says, well, well, Jesus did not, Apostle Paul does not understand New York City. Let me tell you, Corinth was like 10 times worse than New York City, okay? What was going on during the time of Paul? Paul wouldn't understand. Man, the things that Paul saw, even today in our culture, we'll consider immoral, right? Like, it's, it's, it's confusing when we begin to blend these different cultures, and that's what happened in the church of Corinth. It's like they would speak in tongues, but they had temple prostitutes. So we're like, wait, what? 
All right, they, they practice spiritual gifts, but here is someone that's committing adultery in the highest, in the highest way where it's like, you need to expel that immoral brother. It was confusing. It was conflicting. And that is why we need to begin to stay true to what God has to say for us. And the interesting thing is, we're like, where, where's our baptism like that? Right? Where's our baptism where the heavens open up and God speaks clearly? If, if I could just hear God's voice audibly, no questions. I have no questions. Okay? And I used to say that when I was younger. When my, I was like still young in my faith, I was like, God, if, if I just heard your voice, right, it's over. We're like, why can't I have my Apostle Paul moment? Okay, why can't I just see you? And I'm like, all right, my, my, my life, my world is yours. <laughs> It'd be that simple. But the reality is our baptism wasn't the baptism that Jesus received. We think that we're so immoral and so loved and beloved. I'm going to be honest. That's not the realities of the scripture. Our baptism, the baptism that was reserved for us, was death and punishment. See, Jesus received this baptism and the heavens opening up and this affirmation because he's the son of God. He is sinless. He has never committed a wrong. He is pure and holy. That's not the baptism that awaited for us. The baptism that was awaiting for us was God's wrath on the cross. And you see, Jesus, as he enters into this ministry with this calling and this affirmation that he is the son of God, this beloved moment, this cherished moment, right? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This son of God stood and hung on the cross, receiving the baptism of death, punishment, and wrath so that we can receive the baptism of life now. He received it. The son who was beloved and then he was forsaken on the cross. In Europe, um, when I was touring Europe with my Bible college, it was interesting going to some of these, um, like, these churches, these old, old historic churches. And as you walk in, there's a baptism tank that sits in the entrance. And you imagine, like, wow, you just, it's like, well, welcome to Hope Brooklyn. Let me just get you dunked right here. Um, there's a baptism tank waiting because it's a reminder that before you enter into the church, into the body of Christ, that we were entered into the salvation through the baptism of Jesus. It's a reminder. It's a distinct reminder. And here, Jesus now has received the love. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. But in the same time, in the same breath, he was forsaken on the cross, seeking out his father. I can't imagine the pain and sorrow that Jesus was being abandoned like that, having the father's face turn away. I can't imagine the heartbreak of the father turning his face away from the son. In this cherished valley moment, contrasting one another. But it was necessary, and that is why we always look at grace, and grace cannot be considered something that's just taken for granted. Because Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in The Cost of Discipleship, something that cost a father so precious, a sacrifice that was so deep, cannot be cheap to us. And so we need to understand that our identity and our value begins with that. It doesn't begin with, oh, I, I like these features of the fruit of the spirit, right? My value is in patience and <laughs> kindness and love. No, our, our value is, it begins by looking at the cross. And at the cross, as the heavens opened up or in some ways closed, we receive the affirmation of the Father to us. 
that I love my creation so dearly that I'll give up my son to be restored in relationship with them. He brought us close and near to his heart through the sacrifice of his beloved son. That's where our value and identity begins, that we are people who are forgiven, that we are people who are seen, known, and loved. And even that that first part is something that I always have a hard time gripping, that we are people that are forgiven. And I I still, my first therapy session that I ever did um, was about six years ago, and I was late, um, just fashionably be like every New Yorker. Um, I was late, and I felt so bad. I was like, I'm so sorry. I was texting her a thousand times. I got, I got to the session. She was the sweetest person. And she's like, Brian, you have permission to be late. I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> My mom told me if I'm 10 minutes late, if I'm on time, I'm 10 minutes late. Right? Like, that's just how, you know, she kind of... Brought me up. Now I'm just late all the time with the baby. But <laughs> it was just a, it, it was it was so it was such a weird thing to hear that I have permission to be late. Obviously, I don't want to abuse that permission. But it was nice to know that I was forgiven, even for a small thing like that. And how often do we live through our lives not giving room and margin for error? In a city where we need to be perfect, in a city where we need to have everything. In, in line, in order, the, mis- the, the mistakes are very thin. You, take, you miss one stop on the subway, it's over. The margin is very thin. And in that world, Jesus is coming and saying, you are forgiven. That argument that you had, that phone call that with your parents that you're regretting, <laughs> that conversation that you had that you maybe you wish you wish took back, maybe the, the choices between two career paths or jobs, maybe between the two apartments, maybe the mistakes that we've committed to ourselves. Maybe there's no room for margin and error to forgive ourselves for the things that, our failures, the things that mark us with shame and regret. And here, we're sitting here and God is reminding us through the cross, all all those things, I forgive. All who come to the cross, I provide grace and mercy instead of punishment. That is the baptism that we've received. And I know we haven't done a water baptism here in a while at Hope Brooklyn. Um, The last one we did was actually during the pandemic. It was was a weird experience, but awesome. Um, And um, we want to do more baptisms because it's not just simply a ritual we do um, for the sake of feeling this euphoria. But it's this identifying calling, saying, God, as I begin this journey with you, as I get baptized and in symbolic ways represented in the death and resurrection of new life, our value and identity begins with you. Imagine if our, our value and our character and who we are began at the foot of the cross, began with God the Father reminding us that we are his good and perfect creation, that he brings all of us back to him through the restoration of forgiveness. And so before we even get into the nitty-gritty of, hey, Hope Brooklyn, who are we? What are we doing here? Um, I think it's more, most important for us to know what, are, what am I doing here, right? Why am I here? <laughs> Is it just another Sunday and the weather was nice and we took a nice little stroll? Like, why am I here? 
Am I here to begin to come to rejoice in the good news that I have been forgiven and redeemed, and I get to share that joy with other people that had that same experience? Right? How many times do we look into the city, and that's the most beautiful thing about the city, the, the affinity that we can find, right? You go a couple of blocks, and like, you just find your people, right? You go across, you take a train, you go across boroughs, you find your people, okay? Every now and then, I need to go into Flushing, but like, this is where I, was, I, was, I grew up, these are my people, Right? Like, people are like, flushing smells weird. I'm like, I know, but that's, that's, that's my smell. Right? Like, that's, that, that's it's a sweet aroma of joy, aurora of, aroma of joy for me. Right? Um, and so that's the beauty of living in a city. You know, you go, you go on Facebook, you can find a thousand groups that have your unique interest. Right? Your unique hobby. And we love that. And in the same way as we come together on church on Sunday, this is us coming together saying, hey, we're journeying and sharing this joy that we have experienced together. And so more important than who are we as, the, as Hope Brooklyn, because listen, there's some essential values that will remain the core because we don't want to be swayed just by the opinions of others and the community, but understanding the calling that God has for us as a church. There's some things that we believe that God has in, in, embed, in, embedded into us, but at the same time, those things might change. Over time, the city's going to change, and our mission needs to shift. As the, as the dynamics of the people that gather here changes, we're going to need to be flexible and agile to be able to serve those needs and to share the gospel in those contexts. But what's most important is, why am I here? What am I bringing to the table? Otherwise, it's always going to be us outside looking in, wondering what Hope Brooklyn is doing. But I'm like, hey, you are Hope Brooklyn. <laughs> Okay, like I'm not Hope Brooklyn, I'm definitely not. Like, like myself just being up here, this doesn't represent Hope Brooklyn. The church is something so beautiful and, and wider than who we are as individuals. And so with that said, um, there are some distinguishing marks for us as a church. And I've been going down this memory lane, kind of this nostalgia thing of like going through all my old emails. Um, and it's funny going through old emails because I'm like, why are we redoing this? We already had a game plan here, okay? <laughs> it's like we're reinventing the wheel every year. I'm like, well, we had all this beautiful material here, okay? I'm going through old Instagram posts um, that are archived, you know, our old, like, former website, I'm, and I'm, pick, I'm, like, kind of bringing together some of the old but also the new. And if you, if you got these cards, um, the welcome and next steps, you see two taglines that are actually extremely important to who we are as a church. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table for you. That's always been the essence in the heart of Hope Brooklyn, that this place is a place of invitation, not of just an inclusive dome that we, you know, this, this is our people and then everyone else, you know, it's not our business. No, our goal is to continue to invite and to love. That's my baby in the back. <laughs> uh, and on the next steps, the whole family makes it happen. The beauty of the church and a thriving and healthy church is not, it's not built on certain leaders doing 20%, I mean 20% of the people doing all the work, but it's about the collective hands that come together because um, on the back, as it says, there's people that have time, maybe no treasures. <laughs> That's fine. All right. That's like almost every college student experience. All right. They've got all the time in the world. Like, I don't have a bank account though. Um, and maybe you have all the talent in the world. Maybe you do have the treasures. But whatever it may be, that the collective beauty of the church is that it's given that everyone comes to the altar together as an offering, saying, here's my time, talent, and treasures. God, do with them what you will. That's how the church thrives. It's not on the resume of the lead pastor. 
And so there's two taglines that are just extremely important to us. Um, and also of tables, um, life's too short to eat alone. If you're not part of a table, please, please consider joining one, ask about it. Um, our tables are a way of it. We live out our small groups and um, live, out what, live out our values in a smaller setting throughout the week across whole Brooklyn. But in a city that where we're so hungry and thriving for connection and tables, it's the heartbeat of whole Brooklyn. When, when the pandemic shut the entire city, entire world down, somehow tables were still happening on Zoom. Um, and some of you table leaders that led through that time, God bless you. Um, like we really, we, we are still gathering here today because of the offering that you made to say, I'm making the sacrifice of my time and just opening up my heart, opening up my Zoom account <laughs> to others. You know, and that was one of the most unique things. You know, the first week at, um, when the city shut down or semi shut down, we're like, okay, we're gonna do house churches. And that Sunday we had house churches, people meeting in homes. And then literally after that Sunday, I was like, oh no, you can't even do house churches. We're like, all right, cool. <laughs> we're gonna just meet on, what, what is Zoom? I don't know, we're gonna just do it, okay? We started meeting online and it never stopped. I don't know if you realize that, tables have not stopped since the birth of Hope Brooklyn. I remember when I first came in to join the staff, I was, I, I was meeting with Russell and Nathan, the pastors at the time, and I was preparing table material before I even uh, like, attended a Sunday church or a Sunday gathering, before I even met a table. But I could pick up the essence from Russ and Nathan explaining to me the heartbeat of tables, why it was so important. And so today, um, the registration's open. And I think table gatherings are meeting through this week. We also have some small groups that are meeting that kind of has a bit more of an infinity um, type to it. I know in the past we had like a Saturday um, running group that ran and met for brunch. I was never part of that. Um, but some of y'all were and you're champions for that. Okay. Um, there were some book clubs that were created. Like all, all these great things. And these are just simply people offering their time, offering their talents and their treasures, hosting, feeding, and so if you're not part of a table, there's no peer pressure here, but just a little bit. Um, just consider it. Pray about it. Join, visit some tables, and just see the heartbeat of whole Brooklyn. But there's some other values that really, um, I feel like, has captured who we are as a church. And this, these are things I want to lean into. So some distinguishing characteristics of Hope Brooklyn. Um, there's five that really came to my heart and kind of summed up uh, where we are and who we are. First is Presence. Presence with Jesus and with one another. That closeness of Jesus is the first and, mo and, and the biggest priority of our life. That time with the Father was precious to Jesus. You know, he would do a great, um, you know, ministry, miracles, and then he will just like, just run away across the water, spending time with the Father. Before his crucifixion, he spent time with the Father in the garden. And in those prayers, he didn't cry out, oh, Lord, heavenly being, he cried out, Abba, Father. And so for us, presence and closeness of Jesus is going to be our goal and our pursuit. But also, in the same vein, we also pursue community together and presence together. And I just want to say, you know, I know a lot of times the number one reason people leave churches or they don't stick with a church is because community is absent. It's like, I don't feel connected. I do want to say in the most kind and loving way that it's a two-way streak. Community is, is a commitment on both parts. If you want to see authentic, true community, it takes commitment from all people involved, not just the people hosting. 
tables, that community is going to be as beneficial and thriving depending on how committed the group is together. It takes both, but presence, pursuing authentic community and relationships, presence with one another, presence of Jesus, generosity, sacrifice and service. Um, that's been such a clear distinctive. Um, we're gonna, we, you know, we have our town hall meetings, and maybe I'll confirm these, <laughs> this, this stat, but during the pandemic, the generosity w was sustained all the way through. If anything, we had a early COVID fund that we were trying to spend because <laughs> the community rallied around even in the, most, in the midst of the pandemic when everyone was hit hard. Somehow this, this church and this community said, I, I want to give instead of, to hoard, instead of hoarding. It's a distinctive of Hope Brooklyn. Anytime there's been emergency needs or emergency calls or even to Foursquare disaster relief, the generosity hasn't stopped. Third is wonder. Um, I don't know why, but I've just been really fascinated by this word in a weird way, wonder, I guess, wondered by wonder. Um, but I've been loving this word because it hits so many different layers. We want Hope Brooklyn to continually be a place for people to come and ask questions about God or even just lament and be angry with God. Come with your doubts. Come with your skepticisms. I never want this place to be like, hey, you can't ask that question here. Ask away. <laughs> ask all those questions. And we don't, we don't want this place to be a place of judgment. We want, a place this, we want this gathering to be a place of curiosity, of dreaming, right? I don't want us to just look at what's in front of us, but I want to look at what God is, has instilled for us, envisioned, dreaming, and imagination. How do we do ministry? We need to be creative in the city. Uh, you know, there's a lot, of, like, a lot of church cohorts and trainings that I go to. It's a really copy and paste model. And you're like, you know, our church in North Carolina, nothing wrong with North Carolina, but our church in North Carolina, we do it this way. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work here, right? Um, I remember going to a church planting session, and they were sharing, like, you know, I planted a church in one of the biggest metropolitan cities in New York. I was like, where? I haven't seen you. They're like, Cortland, New York. I was like, Cortland? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a thriving, booming city. I was like, Cortland? <laughs> All right, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> uh, no judgment here, okay. Uh, but, you know, he's like, yeah, we handed out all these promos and flyers, and we had, we had 1,000 people on our first Sunday launch. I was like, bro, if you plan a church in New York City and you have 1,000 on your first Sunday, step aside, okay? You do all the training and all, you know, that's, that's a miracle, <laughs> okay? That's a, truly a miracle, but I want, uh, doing ministry in the city, it's never copy and paste. What we're doing here looks different than what the ch churches are doing in Manhattan and Queens. And so God needs to give us room for imagination and dreaming to be able to go, how can we serve this neighborhood and this community? Help us to see with eyes that you see, the people that come by, people that you surround us with. Renewal. Continually seeking the renewal of the city and of our souls seeking mercy and justice. And when I say the word justice, I don't just simply mean in the political sense justice or whatever we think justice means politically, but the justice of God, which is mercy and grace. You know, one of the things that was the hardest for me to receive was when I, I shared about, um, you know, passing judgment on somebody and somebody asked, what if, what if, instead of God punishing that person the way that you imagine, that they showed him grace and mercy? I was like, I would hate it. <laughs> but that's what God has done for me. What God has done for us, it's renewal. How do we pursue renewal? And then joy. I don't know why, but churches, you know, it's always kind of like this somber, sad, lamenting season. 
But truly, when we come in presence of God, when we're sharing a meal together, when we're gathering around tables, there's laughter, joy, and hope. I don't know why we always have to be so serious around the cross. No, there's so much joy that lies in the presence of God. And all these things, um, Charles Swindoll, he has this quote, it says, great characters like massive roots grow deep when water is sparse and winds are strong. I believe that this time of us being scattered as a church, of wandering, of going from place to place, of people coming in and coming out, of leadership changing, leadership coming, leadership going, was a time and place where it was when the water is sparse and the winds are strong. And even in those moments, God has built character for Hope Brooklyn. He has built hope here. He has built something beautiful here. And I want to lean into that together. So I will say, if you want to know more about this, and this wasn't a natural plug, but... Um, what we do here is, what we started doing here, it's new, it's brand new, um, but we started doing partnership. And it's just a way of a bit of a membership, but I just, I'm going to be honest, I just don't like the term membership because it feels like you pay for something and then you get all these like amenities, um, like a gym membership. Um, I like partnership because I believe that we're all in this together. Um, and so on the back of your welcome card, one of the boxes for partnership, and you see it in the email as well, but it's a way for us to dig di deeper into these values and identities um, dig deeper into who we are. And the partnership is kind of like a define the relationship moment of Hope Brooklyn. Okay, it's like, you know, do you consider us your church? Am I, do I have permission to pastor? Do I not? <laughs> you know, because I would kind of, that's always a weird space for me. I'm like, well, spiritually, I want to give you, I want to give some counsel and journey with you. They're like, yeah, well, you know, I don't really consider Hope Brooklyn my church. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> I'll just pay for this coffee and we'll be on our way. Um, but there are times when people expect that, but I don't know if I have permission to do that. And leadership and pastor. So this partnership is a way to kind of define the relationship of who we are as a church and who, what, what is, you know, your participation in the church and who we are together collectively. And so if you check off the partnership and drop it up in the back, um, there's, I'm, we're offering two um, forms. One is a one-day intensive because everyone, some people are like, I'd rather just block out one day and just get it done. I'm like, that's cool. Um, but if some of you have a lot of time, that's great. We also have a three-part one. Um, so you could choose to your likings if you want to join and participate in the one-day intensive or the three days. But this will kind of help us to um, refine and to understand who we are as Hope Brooklyn, our history, our denomination affiliation, things like that. All those questions that you may have, um, hopefully you'll be able to find, there, find it there. And so take time to do that. But um, I'm going to invite the worship team up um, and our communion ushers. Because as we're searching our identity together, um, you know, one of the questions I get when a lot of people come by for the first time is, who are you? Right? Hope Brooklyn, who are you? Um, and I, in turn, always want to ask, who are you? <laughs> right? Like, I want to know who you are. I want to know your story. I want to know where you're from. I want to know the, what has shaped you, um, what has, you know, helped develop character and values. I want to know what you find important in your life. I want to know your story. And so um, this is a way kind of for us to collectively come together to do that. But also, in this season right now, maybe for some of us, we're battling through um, from the first quote of Pete Scazzaro, right? We're living out somebody else's life and somebody else's expectations. Maybe it's a season for us right now to listen to the voice of God 
and allow him to tell us who we are. Allow his grace and his mercy to be imprinted on our hearts. Allowing the Holy Spirit to make an impression in our lives versus all the voices and the collective stories that we hear, um, whether it's through podcasts, YouTube, or just conversations. Maybe so much of that has shaped us. But allow God to remind us today, what does a cross mean to us? What does his affirmation and his love mean to us? And so um, we're going to take communion, but before we do, if we could just take a moment just to pause, and if you join me just to pray, just allowing our hearts to be open to God today, to listen to his voice, asking for clarity and direction. What are our values? What do we value today? What do we value more than God? What controls our decisions? What controls our narratives? And maybe today's an opportunity to say, God, I surrender some of these things to you. I surrender some of these narratives to you. I surrender some of these voices that have been dictating my life that leads to just pain and destruction. God, maybe this addiction in my life has defined who I am today. It defined how I function during the day. It defines how I, how I think and how I live and how I interact with others. Maybe there's something so paralyzing in our life that we're afraid to step out. We're afraid of community because something in the past has just, just put our feet into sinking sand. Allow God to take that, to restore it, to renew it, and to give that affirmation, his voice coming to us and saying, you are forgiven, you are seen, you are free. Let us live out into the identity as people who can be redeemed and restored. Let's take a moment just to pray.